Chapter Five of On the Yukon Trail by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Dangerous Business. The Indian who had promised to provide the boys with caribou meat had not deceived them. At the appointed hour, he had returned with an abundant supply. In his eagerness to secure provisions for a long lap of the journey, Joe had piled his sled high with meat. In doing this, he had made a mistake, but this he did not know at the time. Having paid the Indian, he lashed his rifle to the top of the load and, shouting to his dogs, went racing away after his companions. The short day was nearing its close when, on passing a turn in the trail, Joe found himself swinging out of the forest into an open stretch of wild meadow. He had hardly made a hundred rods of this open trail when he heard a sharp howl which came from the edge of the forest. Wolves, he muttered, caught the scent of this meat. Indians say it's been a bad winter for wolves. Starving, I guess. Well, we'll show those boys our heels. Reaching out to the sled as he traveled forward, he unlashed his rifle and threw it across his arm. As he did so, he caught his breath. There were, he suddenly remembered, but four cartridges in the rifle and none on the sled. Their supply of ammunition was on Curly's sled. Shouting at the dogs, he gripped the handle of the sled with one hand and with rifle poised in the other, went pit-patting along over the trail. He had reached the center of the open space and was hoping to arrive at the forest soon and find the others in camp there, when tragedy suddenly descended upon him. A dull crash was followed by a sickening thud. The sled, having been twisted sideways and crossing a dry ravine, had crumpled down. Springing forward, the boy found that all the lashings and braces of one runner were torn away. "'Smash beyond repair,' he muttered. "'Now how am I going to get that meat to camp?' He thought of unhitching the dogs and of clinging to the main draw-rope as he raced away to his friends for aid. This thought was speedily banished when a dismal, long-drawn howl came from the edge of the forest. "'Wolves,' he muttered. "'They'd eat it all.' He thought of making the canvas covering of his pack into an improvised sled and placing the meat upon it, of hitching the dogs to that. Don't believe they could haul it, he decided. The trail's too narrow. Snow on sides is too deep. Again there came the dismal howl. This time it was followed by a yap, yap, yap. To the boy's consternation, this yapping was answered from a dozen points at once. A lot of them out there. Gaunt, hungry beasts. Dangerous, I guess. Again he thought of the four cartridges. They were not enough. He might be obliged to cut his team loose and make a dash for it. The dogs heard the challenging call from the wild creatures of the forest and bunched together as if for defense. Their manes stood straight up. The leader, a part hound, was growling in a low tone, as if talking to himself. This team of five dogs which Joe drove was a pickup team. Besides the part hound leader, there was one husky and three dogs of uncertain breed. The husky's teammate, Sport, was slight of build and inclined to shirk. 
The two wheel horses were short, stocky fellows who worked well in traces and showed signs of being good fighters. Like some scout preparing for an Indian attack, Joe now loosened the dog's traces from the sled, but that they might not rush out heedless of danger to be cut up by the merciless fangs of the wolves, he chained each dog to the sled. "'Time enough to let you at em later,' he murmured. He felt a certain amount of security in their companionship. Just what he meant to do, he did not for the moment know. Darkness had fallen. Like twin glowworms, the eyes of the wolves shone at the edge of the forest. Already some of them were creeping out into the open. There were a number of them. Just how many, he could not tell. The one that sent out the call was probably the daddy of a large family, he told himself. And he's invited the whole family to a feast. But, he said as he set his teeth hard, there won't be any feast if I can help it. Leaning his rifle against the sled, he dropped his chin on his hands to lapse into deep thought. Then suddenly he leaped into action. Why didn't I think of that before? he exclaimed as he tore at the wrappings of the sled. He had thought of the radiophone equipment packed away on his sled, the reserve outfit which always rode there. If I can get it set up, he told himself, I'll be able to call Curly. Then he and Jennings will make a dash for it. With rifles and plenty of ammunition, they'll beat the wolves off. We'll feed some of their carcasses to the dogs and have that much more caribou meat for ourselves. His fingers trembled as he unpacked the detector and set it firmly upon the overturned sled. He had caught the gleam of a pair of flashing eyes much closer than he had thought the wolves would dare to come. He had caught, too, the ominous sound of chop-chopping jaws. Pete, the husky, was kayaking and straining at the chain. Major, the dog who always guarded the sled at night, was sending forth a low, rumbling challenge. As Joe set his amplifier into position, he sent a flash of light from his electric torch full upon one of the gray beasts. The wolf, recoiling as if shot by a rifle, doubled into a heap, then sprang, snarling, away. Joe laughed at this wild demonstration of fear. The next instant his face sobered. He was surprised at the size of those timber wolves and at their gauntness. Starved to skin and bones! Ready for anything, he muttered grimly as he set two jointed poles straight up in the snow. From the top of these poles hung suspended his coil aerial. There remained but to connect the batteries. He was bent over the sled, intent upon making these connections secure, when he was startled by a mad chop of jaws directly behind him. The next instant there was a wild whirling of legs and fur as Major engaged a wolf in combat. Snatching his rifle, Joe stood ready to do deadly execution once the combatants separated. But only four cartridges, he breathed, and my call for help not yet sent. His heart sank. End of chapter 5 Recording by Tom Penn